Good evening. Welcome to Celebration Church. We are in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, we're at the very end, or chapter 31, the last chapter of the book of Samuel. This is where we've been reading about the rise of David, where he came from, the whole deal, and how David served under Saul. Saul became jealous of David. Saul tried to kill David, made his life miserable. Back and forth, da-da-da-da-da. God had clearly become very uh, uh, dissatisfied with Saul. Um, Saul was trying to pray and ask God for wisdom, but God wasn't answering his prayers anymore because it had gotten so bad. And then eventually, um, as he was getting ready for this big battle against the Philistines, because God wasn't answering his prayers, he went to a witch, the witch of Endor. Sounds like something from Star Wars or something. But the, went to the witch of Endor there, and uh, uh, she called up the spirit of Samuel, who was the prophet, and Samuel said, why are you bugging me? <laughs> and he says, well, help me, God won't listen to me anymore. And he says, well, that's your own fault. And, you know, will God be with me in my battle tomorrow? And he says, no, you're all going to die. Bad news. So, um, in the meanwhile, then we read about David, how he was going to go to fight with the Philistines, at least that's what the Philistines thought, but they didn't trust him. Probably a good move because David really wasn't with the Philistines. He sent them back, but in the time it took for David and his men to be at the battle and to go back, other guys had come and plundered. The, remember, they took all their wives and children and stuff and the big thing, and they finally went and rescued all their wives and children. So all that is back, and David is now back in, in his city there. Uh, and then we see it, chapter 31. This is the big battle now. Now, now, uh, now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan. This was David's buddy that he loved so much. And that day, Jonathan dies in battle. Abinadad, also his brother, and uh, Malkashua all died. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically, so... The archers are coming in close where Saul's fighting and they're, you know, he's taking you know, arrows and Saul yells over to his armor bearer. He says, take your sword and run me through or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. In other words, if they get their hands on me, it's not going to be pretty. I would just rather die right now. But the armor bearer was terrified and wouldn't do it. Uh, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. <laughs> Harikari. Uh, when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he wasn't actually dead yet, we'll find out in a minute, um, then he too fell on his sword and I, I assume that's what it sounds like. Uh, so Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all the men died together at that same day. Now when the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. Why? Because the Philistines were coming. If you didn't have the army there to protect them, it's time to get out of Dodge. And, uh, and they did. And sure enough, the Philistines came and occupied the towns. Well, the next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor. And they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news far and wide. The wicked witch is dead. So they finally got Saul in the temple. Of, and then he took... Uh, went and told the temple of the idols and among the people and then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths with their gods and stuff and then they took his body and stuck it to the wall of Beth Shan it was just the body because the head was gone now well when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul all their valiant men journeyed through the night 
to go to Bethshan where these bodies were hanging. And they took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall and uh, went to Jabeth where they burned them. Uh, then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days in mourning for Saul. The end. All right, that's the end of First Samuel. Now we pick it up, Second Samuel. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites. Remember, these are the guys who had come into Ziklag, his hometown there, and taken away his wife and kids, and he had beaten them and, and got everything back, and he stayed in Ziklag for two days. Well, on the third day... Because remember, they're staying back from the battle. They weren't part of what's going on. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. And David says, well, where have you come from? And he said, well, I've escaped from the Israelite camp. Well, what happened? David asked. Tell me. And he said, well, the men fled from the battle. Many of them fell dead uh, or fell and died. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead. Remember, he loved Jonathan. And had incredible respect for Saul, off the charts respect. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, you know, talk about having respect for uh, God's anointed person, even when the guy was a wacko and not doing the right things. Uh, David refused to treat this man who God had anointed, past tense, with anything but respect. So high was his esteem towards uh, men that God had touched. A uh, good lesson for us to be careful not to get. To, you know, we can't use the same analogy today because I, I certainly don't get that crazy, but be careful. I mean, you know, a lot of us have people we haven't dealt with well in the past and pastors who have been wacko crazy people and people from different churches and stuff. We had bad experiences, and it's hard not to get real uh, disrespectful towards those guys. Just be careful, all right? Treat them with respect. Let God deal with it. Um, so anyway... He says, Jonathan is dead and Saul's dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? Well, he said, I happen to be on Mount Gilboa. That's kind of how he happened to be. There's this big battle going on, people shooting arrows and stuff. It's like, this is a bad place for a walk. I don't know what he's doing there, but he happens to be there. And uh, he says, when he. came and there was Saul leaning on his spear. Now he wasn't leaning on hanging on. He went in other words and, uh, to kill himself and the chariots and riders were almost upon him and he turned around and saw me. So even though he'd fallen on his sword to kill himself, he still wasn't dead. First of all, he got hit by arrows and he wasn't dead. Falls on his sword, he's still not dead. It's a bad day when you can't even die. <laughs> so he's trying to kill himself. Nothing's going right. That's, that's the worst. So anyway, uh, so he calls around and he, and he yells at me and I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, who are you? He says, I'm an Amal- Amal- Amalekite. And he said, stand over me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. Saul, dude, bad day. So he said, well, I stood over him and I killed him. Because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. I mean, here's a guy, he's full of arrows. He falls on a sword. He's still not dead. The guys are coming. He asked me to kill him, so I killed him. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. He brings them to David, bows before David, respectful, right? You would think this guy had done a good deed. Yes? So then David and all his men, when they, uh, with him, took hold of their clothes and tore them. This is what they, people would do when they get really upset in that culture. You see that kind of actions today when you'll see, like, uh, in the Middle East... Uh, culture where they're mourning and stuff and funerals and they're ripping their clothes and they're throwing dust in the air and stuff. This is 
Eastern culture. This is the culture where these people live. So that's what they did. This goes back a long time. This is 4,000 years ago. And then they mourned and they wept and fasted for Saul uh, until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord that, and, and the house of Israel. For they had fallen by the sword. Now David said to the young man who brought him the report. So I mean he's, you know, they're crying, they're wailing, they're fasting, they're so sad. Then David pulls himself together and goes to this guy who brought him this report and said, well, where are you from? He said, I'm the I'm son of an alien, an Amalekite, he answered. And David said, why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Now check this out. Again, this is, I told you, we were going to hear a little bit later how David even takes it to a higher level, this respect for Saul. This is like, Dave, check your medication. Because it's like, wow, he seriously was upset because this guy had killed Saul. Well, come on, he's already mostly dead, right? The guy's dead, he's dead, he's mostly dead. He's in there, he's holes on all over the place, he's asking for help. You think he did him a favor? Well, David said, how could you even think of raising your hand against Saul? So deep was his respect for Saul, the very man who was trying to kill him, the man who made his life a living hell. But yet he respected them to the very end. Strangest, a most amazing thing. Again, great lessons to be taken here about respecting men and women in ministry and stuff. Again, I, would, I couldn't take it to this level at all. But this was David. And it was just off the chart. So then David called one of his... And this guy must be stunned. Here's David's yelling at him for killing Saul who was begging to be killed and full of holes anyway. And then David calls for one of his men and says, go strike him down. Excuse me? So he strikes him down and he dies. So David orders the guy to get killed. He kills the guy who said, I took a sword and killed him when he was begging me to kill him in the end. If anything, I would say that's a mercy killing. Wouldn't you think? Seriously, if I'm full of holes and I'm dying and there's no hope for me and I yell, stick me, somebody stick me, will you? All right? I don't think Lathan will kill you later. But anyway, um, so, so, but anyway, this is what happened. David, he's so much respect to this guy. He killed this guy for even daring to do that. He says, your blood be on your own head, for your mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. See, David refused. Remember David? Remember the one time he's in the cave and, and uh, you know, Saul stops to take a poopy or whatever, and he sneaks up and he, and he cuts, I presume that's what he's doing, and he cuts a little tiny thing off, off the robe, and how guilty he felt just for that. Wow. Again, off the charts. But uh, so, so he kills the guy. So David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan in order that the men of Judah be taught this lament. So he writes this song and orders, everybody's got to learn this song. Kind of intense. You know, we try and show you worship songs. We don't order you to learn them. But anyway, so I'm not going to read the song. You can read it. Blah, 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 blah. He's a, he's, this is the writer of the Psalms. He's a musician. You know, da, 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 da. So he writes this song crying out for Saul. Well, in the course of di time... So time goes sailing by here. Then David prays. He inquires of the Lord. This is chapter 2, verse 1. And he said, well, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? You know, now remember, he's not in the towns of Judah. He's in Ziklag because he ran from Saul to get away from, you know, the persecution and stuff like that. He's hanging with the Philistines, kind of under false pretenses. And he's just trying to save his own neck, uh, which to, to me seemed like a very reasonable thing to do. And then finally, he, he prays, prays about it. says, can I go back now? And uh, the Lord says, go, go on up. And David said, well, where should I go? And he said, go to Hebron. 
So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the babe, widow of Nabal, the big fat jerk. Remember him? So David took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its town. So he goes to Hebron and the towns, and that's where the gang all leaves Ziklag and comes home to Judah. They're, they're now in the nation of Israel. And the men of Judah came from Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Okay, now, uh, just, and I'm, you know, I don't have all the details. I would, let, me, let me give you the, the mini version of all this. Uh, Israel, by this time, it, it's, it's consisting of 12 tribes, okay? Well, you've got 11 tribes in the northern part, and then you've got like this Yo Mama tribe in the south called Judah. These were, they were very, very prosperous, successful tribe. And, and it pretty much kind of became like two nations. Because like from here on out, a lot, you will read in the Old Testament, they will reference Judah and Israel. Israel and Judah. They always refer to them in two different things. Like why? Why, why was this thing? Because it was like just this... The best analogy would be like the north and the south during the Civil War, you know. Uh, only it wasn't uh, many states against many states. It was many states against one, okay. Judah was like the big successful one, and then you had the northern tribes of Israel. So that's where you'll see pretty much from here on out, as you read through the Bible, you'll see them re referencing Judah and Israel, all right. And it's like, aren't they the same? No, they're not. They're all the nation of Israel, but Israel pretty much became referred to as the 11 northern tribes and Judah as the, the big successful tribe. David was part of Judah, and he is now anointed king over Judah. He eventually becomes king over Israel, too. We're going to read about this. And uh, he's really the only one, uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't know, maybe Solomon did okay, but uh, as far as holding the nations together, uh, and then from then on, they were pretty much split all the time. But Judah was the predominant tribe. Uh, this is where you get the name, which eventually kind of morphed where it talks about when Jesus was in Judea of Galilee. Judea was Judah, and it eventually became known as Judea. Uh, many Bible scholars believe that's where the word Jews came from. It was a shortened form for the guys from Judah, the Jews. You're from Judah, you're a Jew, from Judah. All right, so, so this is like the major thing. So now... David is king of Judah, the southern, you know, it's like Texas. <laughs> Texas on steroids. You know, it's like, hochi mama, Texas, and then the rest of America, okay? That kind of thing. So, uh, so, now, so, so now we're good. So now when David was told, oh, where am I? The house of Judah. Okay, now when David was told that it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, they went up and got Saul off the wall and stuff like that. He sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness. And I, too, will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now be strong and brave, for Saul, your master, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he's basically reaching out to these guys because you showed such respect to Saul. Again, David loved Saul. Again, I'm telling you, I have the hardest time comprehending how and why. Because Saul hated him and treated him. You talk about loving your enemies. <laughs> man, nobody, talk about living this out. Here is a man who just hated him, tried to kill him, and David loved him even after his death, still loved him and showed respect to his family, which we'll still see here. I mean, it's just, wow. 
So anyway, meanwhile, back at the ranch, Abner, the son of Ner, he was the commander of Saul's army. Now, he had survived the big battle, obviously. Not everybody had died, but Saul and his guys did. So they had taken Ish-bosheth. He was the son of Saul, one of the sons of Saul, who had made it. And he brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead, Ashuri, Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Basically, as he's mentioning all the tribes. It's all Israel. So now we have two kingdoms going. Okay, we've got the kingdom of Judah with David, and we've got the kingdom of Israel in the north, the northern tribes, with one of Saul's son, Ishbosheth. We'll call him Ish for short. All right, so King Ish is up there, David's down there. And now Abner, the son of Ner, together with the men of Ish, Ish's guys, son of Saul, left and went down to Gibeon. I'm skipping over these names here. And then Joab was the son of Jeriah, and David's men went out and met with them at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on one side of the pool and one on the other side. Okay, now we're basically talking civil war here. Okay, the tensions are building. And uh, you've got Abner and a bunch of guys from, you know, Saul's son's kingdom got together around the pool. And, and then Joab, who was... was uh, was it Joab? Yeah, Joab. He's kind of a loose cannon, this Joab guy. And, uh, but David always covered for him. And it's, it's actually probably one of the, you know, nobody's perfect. And David made some mistakes, and we'll be reading that as well. Uh, he never really disciplined Joab the way he should have. He eventually had to deal with it. And I believe it was on his death. We'll, we'll catch it here later, but uh, on his deathbed or something like He told Solomon, his son, go kill Joab <laughs> because he's just been a mess, you know, and Joab eventually gets his stuff because he's kind of a, getting in trouble all the time. A little bit of a less loose cannon. So Joab, the loose cannon guy from David's side, Abner, the loose cannon from the other guys, they all get together with a bunch of their buddies. So you got the north and the south all sitting around the pool, the swimming pool, okay? And they're all headed to the swimming pool and, you know, it's, you know, the one group doesn't like the other group. You know, it's like West Side Story. You got the Puerto Ricans against, who are the Sharks with the other ones? Yeah. What were the Puerto Ricans called? The Jets. No, no, the Jets were the, uh, was the Sharks with the Puerto Ricans? I should know this. I'm a Puerto Rican. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> when you're a Jet, you're a Jet all the way. So anyway, the guys, I'm going to go to song and dance here. Da, da, da. I like to be in America, okay by me. All right, so we'll live this thing out. So, so anyway, the two gangs get together on the pool. And then the leader of the Jets says to the Puerto Rican cats, say, let's have some of our young guys get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. We're going we're gonna to rumble. We're going to have a rumble, you know. So they get out there and do, and the jazz music kicks in, and they're all doing their moves and stuff like that. Anyway, they, uh, it's, so they stood up, and they counted off 12 men. Okay, you 12 guys, okay, for Saul, 12 guys for David, and we're going to do the rumble here, you know. And then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they all fell down together. <laughs> well, this kind of bites, you know. We don't even have a rumble to see who's going to win the rumble. They all get together and they all, oh, they all stab each other. 
And all 12, everybody just, and they fall dead. And the other guy, I guess the, you know, the two guys went, I guess that didn't work. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the point of this was. It was a rumble. Everybody's dead. So the place in Gibeon was called, you read it. I don't know, okay. <laughs> These names make me crazy. So the battle that day was very fierce. Yeah, certainly for the 24 guys who all dropped dead. Okay, so then, so what happens then? War breaks out between the two sides. They thought they would just do this rumble thing to see who's the hippest cat. Okay, well, they're all dead, and then everybody freaks. And they start this big war, and now they're having this big battle between, uh, basically, this civil war now breaks out uh, because the rumble went bad. So that day, it was very fierce, and Abner and his men of Israel were defeated by David's men. So David's men, the Puerto Ricans in this case, anyway, well, one over the other guys. So <laughs> I'm just teasing, relax. Okay. So the three sons of Zeruiah were there. We got Joab, Abishai, and Asiel. And uh, these are on David's sides. So now Asiel was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. (laughs) And he was a fast runner. Why can't you just say that? But they don't say it. Fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. And and, uh, he's running after Abner. And Abner, he's a little bit more of a geezer like me, okay? So he's running, and this punk kid is following him. And he's trying to run away from him. And Abner turns, uh, and he chased Abner, and he wouldn't turn near the, neither to the right or the left. He just kept running straight for him. And Abner looked behind him and said, is that you, Asiel? He knew him. And he says, it is. And then Abner says, well, turn to the right or the left. Take on one of these young guys. Strip him of his weapons. Kill one of those guys. But Asher wouldn't stop chasing him. And he's running. <laughs> and again, Abner said, stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look your brother Joab in the face? Because remember, civil war here. You don't got family and friends on two sides of the deal here. It's a, it's a mess. I know your family. Quit chasing me, you jerk. Okay, you guys obviously have won the day. Uh, and he's running. And then this guy, but he wouldn't stop. And Asher comes running after him, refused to give up the pursuit. <laughs> so Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asher's stomach. Now check it out. We're not talking the head of the spear with a sharp point. We're talking the butt of the spear, the dull point. Now I presume, we don't know, that he was probably just trying to stop him. Apparently, uh, Abner didn't know his own strength. <laughs> And he hits him so hard that the spear goes through Asiel's stomach and came out through his back. Ooh, that is gross. You know, it's bad enough with the sharp side, but when the, the, the dull side's doing that, that's, you know, ow. Seriously. So he just goes, and he winds up running the guy through, and, uh, and he fell and died on the spot. And then every man stopped when he came to the place where Asiel had fallen and died. So all, you know, he's like one of the big heroes and he's running and he wouldn't give up. He's trying to be the hero. I'm I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, if I get Abner and kill Abner, then this is over with. The Civil War comes to an end. This is a big thing. He's fast. I can catch up to him. And he wasn't paying attention. I don't know. Anyway, he gets, finally gets close enough to the, and Abner, after warning him, finally, boom, we're talking a major, he was a major general. And usually these guys were like serious warriors. These generals often survived 
incredible hand-to-hand -hand combat things because they were the best warriors of the best. That's why they were the generals, okay? So anyway, so he takes the guy down, and everybody stops when they see him dead, and they're all freaked out, you know, so everybody stops with that, except uh, Joab and Abishai. They kept running after him. And as the sun was seeking a setting, and they came to the hill of Ammon near Gia on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon, and then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner, and then they formed themselves into a group, and they took their stand on top of the hill, and Joab and his guys are coming, whoever was still with him, it wasn't just those two. Uh, and, and then finally, Abner calls out, and, and he's trying to call for a truce. Stop! Okay, this is a bad day. They do the rumble thing, 12 guys... Yeah, 12, no, 24 guys, 12 on each side, right? 24 guys, they just kill each other for no reason at all. A big war breaks out. Although it wasn't major, it was like, like 300 guys died on one side and 19 on the other. Um, you know, their brother just got killed because he wouldn't stop. These guys are coming and he's trying to stop it. And he says, must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their brother? Stop! Stop it! And Joab answered. It's apparently, it got through to him. He says, as surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, we would have considered this, continued this until the morning. And, and he got the message. Okay, you're right. What, what are we doing? This is insane. So he finally, of course, he's up there with his guys. They drew their battle lines, and these guys are rushing, and finally talked some sense into him. And they stopped. So Joab blows the trumpet, and all his men come to a halt. And they no longer pursued Israel. Again, you will constantly see this delineation now between Israel and Judah. Okay, so there we go. Da, 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 da. Where did I go? Um, so anyway, that night, Abner and his men marched through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan. Everybody basically goes home. All right. Um, what do we got here? Uh, verse 30. When Joab returned from pursuing Abner and assembled all his men, besides Asiel, 19 of David's men were found missing uh, but David's men had killed 360. There's our number, 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. So 360 on one side had lost, only 19 on the other. Then they took Asiel, this young fleet-footed guy who had gotten killed, and buried him in his father's town at Bethlehem. Uh, then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. So there we have. Then chapter 3. Uh, the war between the house of Saul and David the house of David lasted a long time. I uh, don't remember exact numbers. We're probably talking in the seven-year, seven-eight-year mark type thing, a, a fairly long, protracted thing that was going on between these two houses. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And then uh, they have a list here of all of David's sons that he's having. So he's got like, I don't know, four wives at this time. I, I couldn't tell if it was four wives that were added or four added to the two that he already had. Now he's up to six. He's a busy boy. So he's got all kinds of kids. Um, so uh, verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. So Abner, who was the main general for the house of Saul, he kept calling it the house of Saul, but Saul obviously is dead now. Ish is running the, the deal. And, and now Saul had a concubine named Rizbah, the daughter of Ahi. Well, Ish comes to Abner one day and says, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? So he accuses him of having sex with his father's concubine. 
Well, Abner got really ticked. Now, I don't know if just Ish at this point was starting to become paranoid of the power uh, that Abner was having and, and, and why he killed. We don't, we don't know. We have no idea if there was any basis to this or if he was just trying to uh, knock him down a few pegs or he was afraid of his power and wanted him to be disgraced uh, and replace him with somebody else. Not quite such a, such a powerful general. I mean, these guys, at some point you become very paranoid in this culture. You know, this was like for thousands of years armies were like this, you know, so when you get too powerful up, they stab you in the middle of the night, and now they're in charge, you know, that kind of thing. So they, they definitely had their issues. Well, Abner obviously gets very ticked at Ish. He's Ish-ticked. And uh, he says, am I a dog's head? Am I on Judah's side? I'm supposed to be on your side. This very day, I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I have not handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman? And then at that point, Abner basically says, up yours, in the nicest of ways. And he's not going to do this anymore. And he defects over to David's side. Well, Ab-ish is freaked out. You can read all this, but I'm, I'm giving you the marquee, miniaturized version. Um, and so Abner, in verse 12, it says, Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David and said, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help bring all Israel over to you. So now he's holding out the olive branch. I'm the guy who really has the power. Let me come over to you. We'll put an end to this insanity. So bad move by King Ish to, to do this. So David says, good. Verse 13, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing from you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Remember Michael? All right, now this is, this is uh, the chick. I was going to say, I'll say it anyway. This is the chick. That he married uh, was his first wife when he went out and he had to, what, have 100 Philistine foreskins for her and went and got 200. And anyway, so, uh, uh, but then remember Saul, he was such a jerk, he took her and gave her to somebody else. So she's now been another guy's wife for many, many, many years. But as he's coming over and he's trying to reconcile the two houses, David says, fine, but bring me the girl. So he's still pretty ticked that he doesn't have the girl. Now, uh, one scholar that I was reading said that uh, he thought maybe he did this because it was important for him to marry a relative of Saul in a way of, as a political gesture of bringing uh, the lands together. Certainly something that was not very common back in those days. That might have had something to do with it. Or he really loved the girl. I don't know. They eventually had their issues, which we'll find out here. Um, uh, my guess is probably more of a political move than loving her because the fact that they weren't getting along very good after this. So he basically, uh, David sent messengers to Ishbothan, son of Saul, demanding, give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of 100 Philistine foreskins. So Ish gave his orders and had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Now, this is a sad story here. He obviously loved this woman. This has been his wife, for many years, Saul had given her to him, even though he, he knew he had taken her away from, from David. And so he orders, take her away from him. She's going back to David. And look at this sad story here, girls. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Bahurim. And he's just crying. And he's following the girl and, uh, as, as they're bringing her. And he's just weeping and crying and weeping and crying for this woman. And then Abner says to him, go back home. 
apparently we don't mess with Abner. So he went back. Well, Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. For the Lord promised David by my son. He's basically acknowledging this part at this point that there were a lot of people in Israel who did favor David. Uh, they didn't make much of a stink because the power in their area belonged to the house of Saul. So he's basically acknowledging, look, I know a lot of you guys wanted David anyway. This is your chance. So uh, for the Lord promised David by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. So Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. They were kind of the hard sell. And then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. And then Abner said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king, so that they may make a compact with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So now Abner pulls this big deal because Ish had insulted him so much. Ish said, forget this. And he takes his power. He basically has more influence than Ish did anyway. And, uh, and basically reunited all the tribes together under David. And they had this big feast and celebration. And, and, and he says, well, let me go talk to everybody else and we'll, we'll get all this together. And Great. So David says, good. Well, just as David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought uh, with them a great amount of... Just then David's men and Joab brought a bunch of stuff back from a big raid that they did, a bunch of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away. We've just seen this. He sent him off in peace. Well, Joab, remember Joab, he's got his issues. And all the soldiers with him arrived and he was told that Abner, the son of Ner, had come to the king that the king had sent him away and he'd gone in peace. So Ab Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner, he came to deceive you and observe your movements and to find out everything you are doing. So he basically speaks very disrespectfully to the king. Uh, such moves usually wound up with your head on a platter somewhere. Again, uh, David seemed to tolerate a lot from Joab. We don't know why. Maybe he had earned a lot of respect from David. Remember these guys uh, were a, a traveling band of warriors that were, was virtually unstoppable. They were the most incredible fighters in history, uh, uh, David and his men. And, and probably in battle and stuff and, and really had gotten the respect of David. I don't know. I, but he apparently had enough political capital he could come and spout off to David. David didn't do anything about it. Well, Joab leaves, leaves David and sends messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David didn't know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, uh, Joab took him aside. So they bring back Abner. Abner, what's the deal? I thought, you know, say, no, no, you come back. So he comes back, and then Joab takes him to the side, over to the gateway. He says, listen, I'd like to have a little talk with you. A little chat, shall we say. As though to speak with him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Asiel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. All right, so he deceived the guy and uh, says, come here, I have a little conversation I want to have with you. And he pulls him over aside, because remember, he's the one who had killed Asiel. Of course, Asiel was the idiot who wouldn't stop chasing him. But blood for blood. I mean, he wanted revenge for his brother, uh, David. Well, later when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner. Because Abner had just pulled off this great reconciliation. 
And may his blood fall upon the head of Joab. So he basically curses Joab and his family, but he still doesn't take disciplinary action against Joab. Look at this curse that he says. Uh, may Joab's house never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or falls by the sword or who lacks food. There's a big curse, you know, that he pronounces on, on Joab. But still, that's as far as he goes with it, pronouncing a curse on him, but still not taking action. Well, Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Eshel. Yeah, we just read that. Uh, anyway, they like to repeat themselves. Then David says to Joab and all the people with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. So he makes Joab go out there and mourn for Abner. But Joab's the one who killed Abner. I don't think he was mourning in his heart. He's probably going... <laughs> Well, King David himself walked behind the buyer. They burned Abner in Hebron, and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. And all the people wept. And the king sang this lament for Abner. He's always coming up with these little songs. We'll read this one. It's very short. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not feathered. You fell as one falls before wicked men. And all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day, the day. But David took an oath. May God deal with me ever severe, oh so severely if I taste any bread or anything else before the sun sets. I'm not eating for anything the rest of the day. And all the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people of Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. So the implication again is, you know, was he... David really that torn up about this or did he know from a political standpoint he had to really make a big display to show that he had nothing to do with this. Either way, everyone then knew David was not behind this because he displayed all this mourning and respect for Abner. Uh, then the king said to his men, do you not realize that a prince and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I'm an, uh, the anointed king, I am weak and these sons of Zariah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer for his evil deeds. He's basically making an excuse why he's not dealing with these guys who was, were behind all this. All right. So, continuing on here. We've got a few more minutes and we'll try and get this uh, next chapter real quick. So Ish, you know, heard that Abner had died in Hebron and then he lost courage and all Israel became alarmed. Now, now they're freaking out because remember Abner went to get the rest of Israel to bring everything and finish it all up although he'd brokered quite a deal so far. It still wasn't done. Well, Ish freaks out. The rest of Israel gets nervous because now they're on the losing side of this civil war. Saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands. One was named Banna and the other Rechab. Uh, and uh, da, 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 da. I skip through all this. Verse 4, uh, it does point out that Jonathan, the son of Saul, talking about uh, that there was another heir. Uh, Jonathan had a son. Uh, who was lame in both feet. How did he get lame in both feet? Well, when he was five years old, when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse picked him up when he found out that they had died and, and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell. We don't know what happened. If she fell on him or dropped him or whatever the deal was, and in, anyway, he became crippled in his feet. So what they're basically saying is the only real heir left now of any significance to Saul is Ish. Okay. So Rechab and Banna, who were working for Ish, they saw the handwriting on the wall. 
All the power is going to David. Ish is going to be ished out. And then, uh, so Rechab and Banna, the sons, set out for the house of Ish, and they arrived there in the heat of the day while he was taking his noonday rest. Well, they went into the inner part of the house as if to get some wheat. Of course, while they're happening to get some wheat, they decide to stab him to death, uh, which is what you do when you go to get wheat. Then Rechab and his brother Bana slipped away. They had gone into the house while he was lying on the bed in his bedroom. After they stabbed and killed him, they cut off his head. <laughs> Sheesh, it's not bad enough to kill him. Let's remove his head. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's take that to David. That'll be exciting. All right, so taking it with them, they traveled all night by the way of Arabah, and they brought the head of Ish to David at Hebron and said to the king, here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy who tried to take your life. Remember, they're doing a political move. They were Ish's employees. And they saw this go, so they went, now kill him, cut off his head, let's go to David, and David will take his head. Now remember how David reacted when the other guy killed Saul. These guys don't know. David really kind of likes Saul's family. Bad move on their part. Okay, so in verse 9, David answered, Rechab and his brother Benah, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me from all of his trouble. When a man told me that Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and put him to death in Ziklag. That was the reward I gave him for his news. This is not good for these two boys. They're now hearing this, and they're going, okay. How much more when wicked men, and he's pointing out, because this guy was pretty innocent. He really was. David was pretty harsh to this guy and killed the guy who just brought him the news. He says, if I did that to them, how much more am I going to do to you wicked guys who've killed an innocent man in his own house on his own bed? Should I not now demand his blood from your hand and rid the earth of you? So David gave an order to his men, and they killed them. And they cut off their hands and their feet and hung the bodies back by the pool. Uh, and they took the head of Ish and buried it in Abner's tomb at Hebron. Hochimama, okay? A lot of heads flying here and blood. You know, it, it's basically it's this big bloodbath as they're battling out this struggle between Judah and Israel. It is now all starting to assemble under David. Chapter 5, verse 1. We won't go far into this, but... All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led all Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to, to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed king, uh, David king over Israel. So David now was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. So the first seven, eight years, whatever there, he was just king over Judah and then for the next 33, it's over all of Israel and Judah. It is now a completely united kingdom. And David, or Israel, the nation of Israel, and Judah, the whole deal, under David becomes probably the most powerful nation, if not one of the most powerful nations, at least, in the known world by the time David dies. And Solomon comes along, and King Solomon with all his splendor and power and stuff. They were a force to be reckoned with. When he, uh, just as you read in history of 
you know, these guys, Alexander the Great, all these people, they would be able to take all these tribes and pull them together. And once, once they become a united thing or Attila the Hun or whatever, these different guys, these leaders were able to unite all these bands together and then they would become these unstoppable forces. Uh, easier said than done. Very few people, and I just mentioned some names here, all of history knows these guys because they were able to pull it off. They were able to ban. It's kind of like that in Israel at this point. There's, there's the 12 tribes, but they're basically these 12 bands, and they're all competing. And it talks about the elders. They're basically each one of these guys all have a, a power say in all of this, all these heads of Israel. And, uh, and then David finally brings it all together, and it becomes a united kingdom. And boom, away they go. And then we will pick this up uh, next week, uh, verse 6, where it says, The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who live there. So now Jerusalem comes into the picture. And he conquers Jerusalem. And it's now known as the city of David, which is still known to this day as the city of David. And, uh, and of course, we know the whole history of Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus died. And da da da. It's quite, quite the deal. This is where they're going to go on now and take Jerusalem. They're going to bring in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Real interesting story, what happens uh, during that journey and stuff. And then we're basically going to take a look at what David did as a king. Some of the more notable things, uh, you know, in his life. Uh, David goes on. He has some real troubles. Things were going great, but then he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And we'll, we'll, we'll read the whole deal. The Bible doesn't hold any of it back. Uh, and, and we see what happens as a result of his successes and his failures. And we are done for the evening. The ushers can come forward and the musicians can come back and we will take our uh, Wednesday night offerings. For those of you who can't make it on Sundays and whatnot, we understand. We appreciate you coming on Wednesday nights. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for all of your blessings and your kindnesses to us. Help us, O Lord, as we study your scriptures to learn from that, to see uh, principles and stuff that, in these, even though these things happened so many thousands of years ago, principles and stuff that we can learn and apply even into our lives uh, this very day. Help us to continue growing our faith. We ask you to bless these offerings, Lord. Touch your people. Help us to have generous hearts, hearts that want to advance the kingdom of God. Lord, fill every heart in here with a desire to advance your kingdom in their generosity, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.